Ready for a new and exciting career challenge? At DHL Supply Chain, you're part of a team committed to creating innovative solutions for some of the biggest brands in the world. We're recognized as a best place to work, where people are valued, supported, and respected. DHL Supply Chain is hiring for a wide range of salaried operational and functional roles. Previous experience in logistics is welcome, but not required. All opportunities, no boundaries. DHL Supply Chain. Apply today at joindhl.com. Tonight on The Readout. It's what Marjorie Taylor Greene is opposite of all American values. And whatever Kevin McCarthy has, what we know is that he has no values. He's just a power-hungry, you know, Washington, D.C.ite uh, that will do anything, including, you know, align himself with someone like Marjorie Taylor Greene. And I think that's a very scary, scary combination for this country. And Kevin McCarthy remains silent as the dangerously radical future of the Republican Party was put on lurid display over the weekend with calls for total war and white nationalism right out in the open. Plus, Elon Musk's unhinged attack on Dr. Fauci is the latest example of the new normal on Twitter, where free speech apparently means freedom to hurl unlimited abuse at anyone who disagrees with the radical right. And a new round of subpoenas are issued by the special counsel who is investigating Donald Trump's effort to overturn the 2020 election. We begin the readout tonight with a Park Avenue party hosted by the New York Young Republicans Club. The annual gala, eerily reminiscent of the cantina scene from Star Wars, gathered together some of the leading denizens of the radical right, including white supremacists and ultra-nationalists from the U.S. and around the world. Their president... A man named Gavin Wax declared total war on their perceived enemies, which for you non-World War II historians was reminiscent of a phrase infamously promoted by Hitler's propaganda minister, Joseph Goebbels. The five-hour fete was a veritable who's who of white nationalism and anti-Semitism. First up was special guest Steve Bannon, the right-wing radio host who bragged that he made Breitbart.com the home of the white nationalist alt-right before joining Trump's campaign and administration. Next up, Peter Brimelo, a vocal anti-immigration zealot who once stated that whites built American culture, apparently forgetting things like jazz, rock and roll, and the blues, Tex-Mex, and other seasoned food. I could go on. And who just so happens to associate with and promote alt-right white supremacists, too. Back in 1999, he founded a website called V-Dare, named for Virginia Dare, the first English child born in North America, who is a deeply important symbol for white supremacists because she allegedly had, quote, pure Caucasian blood. On his website, Brimelow has argued that America's immigration policy is Adolf Hitler's posthumous revenge on America. In 2009, he wrote that the Obama administration was a, quote, minority occupation government. Now, you might remember his name because Brimelow is personal friends with Trump economic advisor and Fox business host Larry Kudlow, who took some heat for inviting Brimelow to his birthday party. Kudlow claimed that he had no idea that his friend of 40 years has spent nearly two decades amplifying white supremacists. Okay, Larry. On Saturday night, Brimelow rubbed elbows with young Republicans and right wing political figures, including former New York mayor and Trump TV lawyer Rudy Giuliani. And then there's Jack Prasobiec, a mentee of Roger Stone and a Trump ally. Prasobiec, whose bio blossomed on Twitter, is best known for pushing the Pizzagate lie that suggested that Democrats attended a non-existent 
pedophile dungeon in the basement of a popular DC pizzeria, DC pizzeria that has no basement and that was later shot up by a right-wing activist who thought he was rescuing the non-existent children. Prasobiec also blamed Russia's hack of the DNC on Seth Rich, the former Hillary Clinton campaign staffer who was killed during a robbery in Washington, D.C. His proven lie tormented Rich's family for years. More recently, he was out front in promoting the Stop the Steal hashtag that was central to fomenting the January 6th insurrection. The Times of Israel obtained a picture of Prasobiec at Trump's D.C. hotel, flashing the white power symbol with key Proud Boys leader Joseph Biggs, who was indicted by the federal government for storming the Capitol. I'm leaving out hundreds of other stories about Prasobiec's affiliations with neo-Nazis, Oath Keepers, and his anti-Semitic attacks against Jewish reporters. But that guy, the white power guy, was a headlining guest at Saturday's gala. Now, to be clear, these people didn't sneak in. They were invited and celebrated. Let that sink in for a second. Young Republicans of New York wanted these notorious white nationalists at their annual gala. A gala that not only showcased Prasobiec, but also Donald Trump Jr., whose lone accomplishment in life is his last name. And also Marjorie Taylor, soon to be former Mrs. Green. Her speech was the night's crown jewel. In those remarks, she denied that she or Steve Bannon helped organize the January 6th insurrection because if they had, she said, the insurrectionists would have won. Then January 6th happens, and next thing you know, I organized the whole thing along with Steve Bannon here. And I want to tell you something. If Steve Bannon and I had organized that, we would have won. Not to mention, it would have been armed. Ha, ha, ha. Somehow, Marge forgot to tell her fawning crowd of fellow travelers that she actually did attend a White House orchestrated event to help map out a plan for MAGA House members to object to Biden's rightful election, which just so happened to be a key component of Bannon's much touted Green Bay sweep with the goal of overturning the 2020 election results. Oh, and by the way, there were guns at the Capitol. Court records, trial testimony, and accounts from police officers and rioters themselves have produced evidence that multiple people brought firearms to Washington for January 6th, including an AR-15. The CrossFit QAnon congresswoman was joined at the gala by soon-to-be members, including New York Representative-elect George Santos, who attended Trump's Stop the Steal rally at the Ellipse, Mike Collins of Georgia, and Corey Mills of Florida. Her comments and some of those members' willingness to hobnob with election deniers, white nationalists, and anti-Semites should be disqualifying. But sadly, that is not the case in today's Republican Party. A recent PRRI poll showed that 65% of Republicans believe that the election was stolen from Trump. 31% think that true American patriots may have to resort to violence to get the country back on track. And nearly a quarter of Republicans think that it might be necessary to commit violence to save the country. Joining me now is Congressman Eric Swalwell of California and Michael Edison Hayden, senior investigative reporter and spokesperson for the Southern Poverty Law Center. Congressman, I do want to start with you. Marge, um, your colleague, um, claims that when she said that had she been there and she or had she organized the Stop the Steal insurrection, it would have won. She and Bannon 
Uh, she claims that, that was sarcasm when the White House rebuked her for her comments. She claims she was making fun of Joe Biden and the Democrats. But she kept repeating the Second Amendment. She kept talking about the Second Amendment. Just listening to her ridiculous comments, it does kind of sound like she's saying they would have upped the violence and used the Second Amendment, which means there would have been more violence against your friends, the police officers who protected the Capitol, many of whom got hurt. What do you make of her and the fact that the man who wants to be speaker is her partner? She's going to be in charge in a few weeks. Yeah, Joy, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene is going to be in charge in a few weeks because Kevin McCarthy struck a corrupt bargain with her so that he can be speaker. And so he is going to allow under their tent somebody who has this fever dream of an armed insurrection that's successful against the U.S. Capitol. And by the way, she didn't say that she was embarrassed or disappointed or disgusted by what happened at the U.S. Capitol. If anything, she was embarrassed and disgusted that it failed and, and that she, if she was one of the lieutenants, would have ensured that it would have succeeded. But Kevin McCarthy stuck her because he cannot come her without her. And, and so the fear here, the risk for our country is that we are lurching into this era where violence will be preferred over voting because the Republicans know that what they actually believe in is not popular. It doesn't win elections at the state level. It didn't earn them the Senate. They had to cheat through redistricting, which will be overturned in a few months to even narrowly win the House. And so their entire philosophy is at risk unless they bring violence into the mix. And, and that's what the new Republican Party is going to be defined by is chaos and violence. And we will stand in the breach on the Judiciary and Oversight Committees uh, to defend uh, what we all hold so dear. Now, you know, we would love to not talk about this woman. <laughs> I have to be honest. She's not a serious person. She's not a serious congresswoman. But yeah. to your point, Congressman, she is going to be in charge because Kevin McCarthy has to put her in charge. And people like Matt Gates and some of these, you know, sort of bar, Star Wars barroom characters because he can't be speaker without them. And Gates has already said he ain't going to support him. So it's down to her. And I just want to play for our audience just so that you understand who this person is. Literally two years ago, she was a Facebook troll. <laughs> There's a Facebook troll in Congress, who's going to be in charge. Here she is. This is before she was a member of Congress. This is what she used to do when she wasn't doing CrossFit. Let's play that. This is cut, I believe, four. Q is a patriot. We know that for sure. You are using your lobby and the money behind it and the kids to try to take away my Second Amendment rights. You don't have anything to say for yourself? Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, I'm an American citizen. I pay your salary through the taxes that you collect from me through the IRS because I'm a tax-paying citizen of the United States. If you want to be a big girl, you need to get rid of your diaper and come out and be able to talk to the American citizens instead of us having to use a flap. Congressman, I, I know that you take your work seriously, and I know that most members of Congress take their work seriously, but the fact that that person is a United States Congresswoman, she was literally a Facebook troll two years ago, and a QAnon QTuber, or whatever you call it, and now she's going to be essentially running the House of Representatives. What hell do we have ahead of us with that group and white nationalists that run with her in charge? And, and Joy, remember, Republicans went to the voters and they lied. They told voters, we're gonna focus on inflation, bringing down the cost huh. of gas and groceries, by the way, which has come down already. And now what you're seeing is, no, this is what they're gonna get. They're gonna get Hunter Biden, defund the FBI, which Marjorie Taylor Greene is one of the largest advocates for, uh, doing everything they can you know, to uh, you know, pander to grievances around the border, but not offer any solutions. So our job has to be 
to show people who they are, to discredit them so they have no credibility, to defend and debunk on behalf of the Biden administration any of the lies that are told, and then, of course, to pivot to our message of putting people over politics and building on the first two years of the Biden agenda. Let me bring you in, Michael Edison Hayden, because we wanted you on. You wrote the Southern Poverty Law Center write-up of this bizarro world event. And the headline of it really struck me. It was, white nationalists and other Republicans attend this gala. I mean, you pivoted directly from the white nationalists to the Republicans. And that would seem like over the top, except that the president of the New York Republicans Club referenced total war. I want to read you a little bit of what Joseph Goebbels, the Nazi propaganda minister, said about total war in February of 1943. My firm conviction is that we cannot overcome the Bolshevist danger unless we use equivalent, though not identical methods. Total war is the demand of the hour. He essentially paraphrased that. Tell us about this group and this gala. Sure. So Gavin Wax, who is the president of the New York Young Republicans Club, uh, this garbage pail kid who is kind of in charge right now, is not a uh, necessarily a physically imposing person, a tough guy or anything like that. But he has really leaned in very strongly uh, to fascist rhetoric. And I, I'm trying not to use that word too uh, liberally, but I mean, there's just no way around it. He talks about, oh, we're going to do this in the judiciary. We're going to do this here and we're going to do this. And then we're going to do this in the streets. And when you say do things in the streets, um, you know, we know exactly what he's talking about, right? And people from New York know exactly what he's talking about because, um, we have had many encounters on the streets around Republican events in which Proud Boys, uh, mixed it up with, uh, protesters and, and le- leading to numerous, assaults. Gavin Wax knows exactly what he's talking about. In 2018, he wrote a defense of uh, the Proud Boys, right? He invited Jack Pozobic, who hangs out with Proud Boys, who who brags about working with the Oath Keepers. He knows exactly what he's doing. Um, They're doing the fascist thing right out in the open. And and, I mean, Joseph, you you mentioned Jack Pozobiak. Here's a picture of him with Richard Spencer. Now, he and Richard Spencer apparently fallen out. but, but that's who he this is who he hangs with. Roger Stone, Richard Spencer and Proud Boys. Proud Boys have essentially taken over the Republican Party in Miami-Dade, the county where I used to live in Florida. Uh, there's a, a school board member, a school board member backed by the Proud Boys in very heavily African-American Broward County, Florida. How extensive is the penetration of white supremacists and white nationalists for, for the data that Southern Poverty Law Center has done into the Republican Party? So, I mean, in terms of data, I mean, it's hard to, it's hard, it's something that is hard to quantify because you're dealing no longer with groups in the sense of like, oh, everybody's meeting in a barn and wearing a hood and things like that. Everything has become kind of atomized. Uh, lots of people in their, in their basements. Everybody's on Telegram kind of. It's almost like they're communicating if you're in separate prison cells through, through the different walls, right? On the internet. Um, but it is extraordinarily, pre- extraordinarily prevalent. And, um, you know, I don't like to be like, oh, we have to be alarmed or anything like this. But this particular event for me is alarming. And it's not a word I would typically use. Um, they're calling for war. We are not at war. I'm not at war. The people in this conversation right now are not at war. But they say they're at war. And we have to take that very seriously. Um, and that means not giving them any uh, quarter, not giving them any inch about this stuff, where they're organizing. Uh, we need to know what they're doing. And we need to know, we need to know what they're talking about. They offered... Um, and this is absolutely true, and it's important um, for both of you to understand. So they offered no uh, plans, no plans that would be 
uh, would improve the material lives of their constituents. And that is very, very important. There's not talking about anything that would uh, improve people's, uh, you know, their pocketbooks, their this or that. It is strictly about this fascistic friend-enemy distinction, uh, separate the enemy and destroy the enemy. Now, that's fascist stuff. We need to pay very close attention to it. And it's very open. I'll, I'll close with this, Congressman. We have seen hate crimes, anti-Semitic hate crimes in New York City are up 125 percent just in November. Um, and we it would probably be higher, except that major police departments, including the NYPD, are not turning in the data to the FBI. Is there going to be possibility for oversight over this really alarming, the FBI, Chris Ray has, 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 has raised alarms about it, the, in, the invasion of white nationalism, open white nationalism in one of our two major political parties. First, Joy, there has to be a, a collective denouncement of all anti-Semitic uh, tropes, uh, sentiment, statements that are being made, calls for violence. And, and again, we're not seeing that. You know, Kevin McCarthy does not denounce Marjorie Taylor Greene uh, in her conduct and who she and her colleagues associate with. But also we had a hearing on the Homeland Security Committee just two weeks ago where uh, Director Ray and Secretary Mayorkas uh, both talked about the elevation uh, of this issue and that we actually are short funding uh, grants for uh, Jewish groups, actually any nonprofit group uh, in America for security grants that they could protect themselves. And so I hope in the, you know, this package that we're going to fund in the next week or so uh, that we can provide more funding uh, for particularly Jewish groups across America so that they can protect themselves and take additional measures as Marjorie Taylor Greene and others with their rhetoric are putting a target on these groups' backs. Yeah, and they're talking about uh, trying to impeach uh, Secretary Mayorkas. I wonder why. Uh, thank you, Congressman Eric Swalwell uh, and Michael Edison Hayden. Thank you very much. Up next on The Readout, how, thank you, how conservatives are trying to redefine free speech as Elon Musk uses his free speech to threaten people like Dr. Fauci. The readout continues after this. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley, in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. Today and every day, Planned Parenthood is committed to ensuring that everyone has the information and resources they need to make their own decisions about their bodies, including abortion care. Lawmakers who oppose abortion are attacking Planned Parenthood, which means affordable, high-quality, basic health care for more than 2 million people is at stake. The right to control our bodies and get the health care we need has been stolen from us. And now, politicians in nearly every state have introduced bills that would block people from getting the sexual and reproductive care they need. Planned Parenthood believes everyone deserves health care. It's a human right. That's why they fight every day to push for common-sense policies that protect our right to control our own bodies and against policies that interfere with decisions between patients and their doctor. Planned Parenthood needs your support now more than ever. With supporters like you, we can reclaim our rights and protect and expand access to abortion care. Visit PlannedParenthood.org future. That's PlannedParenthood.org future. 
Ladies and gentlemen, make some noise for the richest man in the world. <laughs> Cheers and booze, I see. Controversy, buddy. We're expecting this, were you? It seems that for Elon Musk, who apparently spent $44 million just to delete Twitter accounts that make fun of him and to allow only the free speech that fits his weird COVID and fascism friendly views onto Twitter, after around and found out what being exposed to views you disagree with looks like in real life. When comedian Dave Chappelle brought him on stage during his show in San Francisco over the weekend. Perhaps he forgot that the world is not made up solely of people who stand billionaires and wrongfully presume them to be geniuses, but also by those who do not want to see Twitter become an open forum for far-right extremists, white nationalists, and all the little trolls who had been kept at bay for a hot minute. To those people, the apartheid child tweeted, the woke mind virus is either defeated or nothing else matters. That came a day after he used his platform to not only mock the LGBTQ community, but also to go after America's most visible public health official, tweeting, my pronouns are prosecute Fauci. Not funny. Dangerous, though. And the latest example of Musk playing his role in the right's attempt to redefine free speech, which to them, simply put, is whatever conservatives want said and nothing more. They've gone to great lengths in those efforts. And when it comes to social media platforms, as The Atlantic's Adam Serwer writes, to use them for their own political purposes, including propaganda, disinformation, harassment, and message discipline, conservatives had to invent a new constitutional right, a conservative right to post. And The Atlantic's Adam Serwer joins me now. Adam, your piece was excellent. I want you to explain for those who have not read it, and they all should, uh, what the conservative right to post means. It basically means that you have a right to free speech as long as you are saying what conservatives want you to say. Um, and this is sort of remarkably consistent. You go back to Citizens United, uh, you know, the, the Supreme Court said that uh, corpor corporations had free speech, that to muzzle them would be to, to muzzle the most important voices um, in our free economy. And then the second that, you know, Twitter was not doing exactly what they wanted to do, they started using state laws in order to gain control of Twitter's editorial discretion to make them their editorial policies uh, what conservatives wanted them to be. Um, okay. And what you see is you see something pretty consistent here, which is that when corporate actors are helping Republican interests, they have a right to free speech. And when they are not, they are engaging in corporate censorship. And similarly, uh, when right wing governments punish corporate, punish private actors for uh, that for, for their speech, even though it's a violation of free speech, this is celebrated. It's a view of free speech that says you only have that right as long as you're saying, you know, what conservatives want you to say. Uh, they have a right to free speech. You have a right to shut up and like it. Well, and, and let me read another piece of this. And this was um, on the allure of Twitter conservatives, because there is this thing where they weren't happy with just having like Getter, you know, and Gab, where all the Nazis are. Like they want to be with the regular people, right? And there's a reason they want to impose their free speech. And, you know, Elon Musk was willing to pay $44 billion to give them the entree to talk to normal people. And this is what you write. The allure of controlling Twitter in particular is that the platform removes the middleman and allows for the direct dissemination of propaganda without verification to an audience broader than hardcore conservatives and to bully any opposition, including people who decide what goes on the front pages or leads of the evening news. Moderation policies designed to keep more mainstream social networks profitable for advertisers 
interfere with both objectives. This, it was, to me, struck me as a real key point, is that the right wants to promote things like COVID denial. They want to promote things like, you know, the Hunter Biden conspiracy. But the curation by mainstream media, even sometimes by Fox News when they get threatened with lawsuits, keeps them from being able to disseminate their propaganda. And even if they can get it on Fox, they can't get it on CBS or NBC or, or ABC. They can't force them to, to hear it. So now they can just bully the ABC producers directly, bully the journalists directly. Why do you suppose that's their only way in their mind of getting conservative views out? I don't think it's the only way. It's just a way that they find effective. And they don't just want to bully and harass liberals, although they do want to do that, or, or people who are important uh, voices in the media or important people, people in important positions in the media. They also want to influence their own people to be as extreme as possible. And one of, one of what the ways that they do that is they sort of socialize people through Twitter saying, if you want to be one of us, you have to accept this set of extreme views. Um, and that sort of group think is not you know, just ideological. I mean, I think it's something that affects uh, people of all political persuasions on Twitter. Unfortunately, it hurts people towards groupthink just because of the way social media works. Um, but in this case, that's why it's so valuable to them is that they want to be able to use it to sort of keep people in line. Um, and, you know, Twitter is a private company. Elon Musk can do what he wants with it. Um, but, you know, before when it was not owned by Elon Musk, they wanted to use the power of the state to control what you could say on Twitter or to tell Twitter uh, what their editorial policies were allowed to be. Um, and, and to look at it sort of metaphorically, it's like saying, you know, bookstores decide what kind of books they want to carry all the time. Um, and this is sort of like these laws are sort of like saying, well, you have to carry these books. You have to put, you know, Don Trump Jr.'s uh, book in front in the front display window. You have to promote his speech. You can't make your own decision about what speech is valuable or should be promoted. Um, because they fundamentally do not believe that if you are saying something they don't want you to say, that you have the same right to free speech that they do. And it's a sign of incredible weakness, right? I mean, they feel like they need to manipulate language, as you said, force Don Jr.'s book to the front of the, you know, of the bookstore because nobody wants to buy it and nobody wants to hear it. Um, you know, and this idea of trying to control language itself, because Sherilyn Eiffel highlighted one of these other tweets where Elon Musk, who is a child of, of a pre-apartheid, of, of apartheid era South Africa, twisted the meaning of truth and reconciliation. And she says it's deliberate. A white guy raised in apartheid era South Africa with no anti-apartheid bona fides, bona fides to his name, co-ops mistakes and distorts a concept of racial accountability in South Africa for his right wing fantastical ends. They're just words to him because he wrote truth brings reconciliation. You know, it's the same thing that Christopher Rufo did with critical race theory. I mean, he bragged about not knowing what it is, but said, I want whenever people hear critical race theory for them to think anti-white. We want them to think these horrible things. And I just want it to have a bad association. I don't care what it means. It feels like this is now Elon Musk's purpose for Twitter to just change the meaning of free speech to I, you have to let me harass you. Yeah, I mean, like you can already see, I mean, this has already happened with the former head of safety at Twitter where, you know, CNN just reported that he had to leave his home because of things that uh, Musk said about him on Twitter that were inaccurate. Um, you know, this this is uh, how they want to use an, a, a social network. They want to use it to bully people. They want to use, use it to spread disinformation. But the value of Twitter, ironically, comes from the fact that there are people who are not conservatives on it because those are the people right. uh, that they are trying to reach. They can reach conservatives on other social networks. And you'll notice that they never complain about editorial policies at other social networks that are conservative because they're fine with that. 
Um, but, you know, as long as people who are not conservative stay on the network, people who are influential in politics, in media or in anything else, uh, you know, that is what gives Twitter value as a social media network. And if those people actually get driven off, if um, those people actually are har successfully harassed off the network, um, then, you know, the network ceases to have the value that it had, uh, you know, when they wanted to control it in the first place. Well, and, right. It'll just be Gab. I mean, and it'll just be Nazis on there. Right. And when they all the like you said, when all the normal people leave and all the celebrities leave and all the journalists leave, then they just have Getter and no one's on that either. Uh, lastly, I will point out that there is a real world connection between the propaganda and the hate speech and then real life. We saw that with Musk getting booed by real people. Uh, you're also seeing real violence. I mean, the increases in anti-Semitic violence, 125 percent increase just in New York. It's increasing all across the country, anti-blackness, anti-Asian violence, when they do what they call free speech. And there's no accountability, is there? Well, I think, you know, this is one of the things that uh, people who have run websites have understood for a very long time, which is that for conversations to happen, you have to have some level of moderation, because otherwise the loudest, nastiest people take over the conversation and they don't let anybody else speak. Um, so, you know, this, uh, they, they, this is one of the paradoxes of how the internet works. Uh, and unfortunately, um, you know, the, the Twitter's approach to moderation, it's not that they're not going to have moderation policies. Their approach to moderation will now have uh, a right wing slant because of the ideological disposition of its owner. Yeah. If they were if they're if they actually had real confidence in their ability to persuade, they wouldn't need to do it by trying to freeze out anything but what they want to hear. But obviously, they don't have that confidence because they know most people ain't buying what they're selling. Adam Serwer, uh, brilliant piece. I hope everybody will read it. Thank you very much for being here. Really appreciate okay. you. All right. Still ahead. Florida Governor Ron DeSantis. Here we go. There's, we got him all show. Kicks off his anti-trans campaign. He kicks it into overdrive, targeting some of his state's most vulnerable groups, including children and the poor, because of course, more next. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for up to half the cost. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Savings based on cost of Consumer Cellular's single line 1, 5, and 10 gig data plans with unlimited talk and text compared to lowest cost single line postpaid unlimited talk text and data plans offered by T-Mobile and Verizon January 2024. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. In his endless quest to become the new face of the Republican Party, Florida Governor Ron DeSantis loves to zero in on whatever the far-right 4chan Elon Musk Joe Rogan crowd decides is the culture war issue of the day and exploit it to its last ugly compound. Lately, that has meant going after trans people, which DeSantis has actually been quietly doing for months. New reporting sheds light on DeSantis' crusade to deny transgender medical care for two of society's most vulnerable groups, children and the poor. 
The Daily Beast reports that when a far-right state legislator failed to pass an anti-trans bill earlier this year, the governor resorted to backroom bureaucracy to get the same result, using different state agencies to cut off gender-affirming care. They go on to write, the governor's attack is something of a pincer movement. His administration targeted the poor by eliminating state Medicaid coverage for transgender care in August, and it is currently preparing to bar doctors from providing related services to minors. Joining me now is Florida State Senator Chevron Jones. And um, Senator Jones, it's great to see you. Uh, I want to read for me a little bit of this Daily Beast reporting, and this is what it says. Uh, Florida is, and it's talking about him gaslighting, DeSantis gaslighting Florida. Florida is now using its health care regulations to gaslight the state's transgender population and doctors who specialize in the field by casting doubt on the global scientific community's emerging understanding of gender dysphoria. The condition is described in the Psychiatric Manual of Mental Disorders as the state of being when one feels a deep chasm between the gender they experience and the one they're assigned at birth. Official government reports from the DeSantis administration cite disproven or outdated scientific studies, but the fact that this is playing out entirely through the executive branch means the governor retains power he wouldn't have in the legislature. What's going on in your state? Well, first, it's good to see you also, Joy. Uh, it's unfortunate that it's nothing new that to see the governor DeSantis go after people who don't agree with him and for those who can't fight for themselves. But it's also a continuation uh, from uh, what we know that the Republicans uh, do not want to follow science on anything. Uh, we saw that with just passed with the attorney general. And now we're looking at it now where the where governor DeSantis is using the agencies uh, to come against children, not just children and their parents and their doctors. Uh, this is this is just par for the course of what we're dealing with here in Florida. Uh, there is it's troubling because when you look at the issues that we're dealing with in Florida, uh, they're politicizing an issue that is not even the issue right now. While we are right here now in a special session to deal with the most critical issue, and that is housing insurance. But what are we doing? The governor is traveling the state and traveling the country to deal with everything but and the demonizing children who just want to be left alone and live in what they consider the free state of Florida. Let me ask you this. I mean, this 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 has got to be incredibly rare. I mean, you know, you know, people who make jokes about it aside, there are not like seven year olds going, you know, walking up to the doctor and saying, I want to change my gender and telling their parents and ordering them to do it. Like this is like such a rare thing. Is is there some sort of massive amount of of children who are getting this and and aren't doctors involved in this is there he's making it sound like parents are just deciding i had a girl and now i would like a boy or i had a boy and now i would like a girl and taking them to the doctor and changing their gender that is not happening it not only is it not only is it not happening now these are these these of these parents are with their children and their doctor, and they are having a conversation about this. The fact that the governor and the Republicans here within the state of Florida has found this to continue to be the issue of the day, the issue of the year, the issue truly of the last two to three years, uh, and they want everything for parents to have a choice except this. Go back to what you and I spoke about before when we talked about Christian nationalism and they want everyone to agree and believe like them. And not allowing parents to raise their children like they want to raise them. Or let's go to Miami, to how you want to shut down uh, businesses that have drag shows whereby, mind you, behind the scenes, my Republican colleagues, they speak of how they enjoy 
taking their families and children to enjoy the brunches and things of that nature. But yet still you come and you vote against these same people in their businesses that you say you support. You, you know, you make a really good point, because this is if you ask if you go by Ron DeSantis's agenda, you would think the most important things that are happening in Florida are critical race theory, which in his mind makes white children feel sad. Library books that need to be banned, not not stopping covid. you got to let covid in your school, drag brunch and Disney World making movies with too many gay people in them. Not the insurance crisis. I mean, hasn't the insurance system collapsed in the state of Florida? There's a huge housing crisis. It's now essentially more expensive to live in Miami than in New York City. Does he ever deal with any of it? Or maybe he should deal with fraud. Didn't the guy who created the don't say gay bill literally have to resign in disgrace because he committed fraud against the small business administration taking PPP funds? Truth be, and truth be told, you know what? Rep Harding did the right thing by resigning so that uh, my colleagues and I can begin the process of moving past the distraction and work to provide the real relief that the constituents within that area in which in which they need. And you just took, gave us the laundry list of everything that's happening right now. Florida has no shortage of issues that need to be addressed, Joy. And I have constituents right now in my district from Miami Gardens all the way down to Liberty City who have been waiting for weeks, even for months to receive reemployment. They're trying to find relief for their homeowners insurance. They're trying to ensure that they can move outside of their, uh, they can stay inside their neighborhoods and not be kicked out of their household because they can't afford to live in Miami. We have no shortage of issues that we're dealing with right now, but you know what? They find the issue in children who are with their parents and their doctor and want to make a decision. Gay children are the problem. Black children and black people are their problem. Banging books is the problem. The real issues, the real things that's hitting people's pockets is not what's on the agenda of the day in the state of Florida. More than it just being a problem, people are suffering every single day. Because your governor wants to make Florida a Petri dish for everything on 4chan. Anything that people on 4chan are screaming about, he wants to use it as a platform to make himself into the president. It's pretty disgusting. Uh, but it's what's happening. Florida State Senator Chevron Jones, always appreciate you being here. Thank you very Thank much. You Next. Cheers. The special counsel overseeing Trump's investigations isn't wasting any time subpoenaing officials in five battleground states where Trump tried to reverse his defeat. We'll be right back. We learned today that Jack Smith, the special counsel investigating Donald Trump, has now subpoenaed Georgia Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger. You may remember Raffensperger for being on the receiving end of this infamous phone call. So, look, all I want to do is this. I just want to find uh, 11,780 votes, which is one more than we have, because we won the state. This subpoena makes Georgia the fifth state where Smith is subpoenaed, has subpoenaed local officials for communications involving Trump in the effort to overturn the 2020 election. Joining me now is Joyce Vance, former U.S. attorney, professor at the University of Alabama School of Law and co-host of the Insider Podcast. Always great to see you, Joyce. Um, let, let's go through this. So this this subpoena, uh, understand, I understand, is it's asking Raffensperger for documents, not testimony in person. It was dated December 9th, but lawyer, his lawyers got it yesterday. My notes here say they're weighing options. Can you weigh options with a, with a federal subpoena? Don't you just have to respond to it? Right. He doesn't have a lot of options to weigh. It's either turn the documents over or face the consequences of, of not doing that. 
This is a typical sort of a request from DOJ. Often they want to see the documents before they decide whether there's any reason to put a witness himself or herself in front of the grand jury. Now you, uh, I'm going to quote somebody that you know, Preet Bharara, who you worked with at, at Justice. Um, he said this on Meet the Press um, with regard to whether Trump will ever be charged. He said, I don't think the legal team would have left their former positions, both in government and private practice, unless there was a serious possibility that the Justice Department was on a path to charge. And I think it will happen in a month. Um, you guys were U.S. attorneys together. What, what do you make of that? And do you agree? You know, I do agree. Preet is saying that there's a serious path for DOJ to charge in this case. And based on the publicly available evidence, I think that that's abundantly clear. Might DOJ internally have information that we're not aware of that could make it difficult or impossible to charge the former president? That's always something that, that you have to think about in an investigation. But to Preet's point here, you've got two very serious people with prosecutive chops who've left their jobs to join the special counsel's team. People don't do that unless there is, as he says, a serious path to prosecution. And I think we'll see this come to a head early in the new year. On which thing? Because Jack Smith is investigating both the theft of the documents, which to me has always seemed like the most glaring and obvious one. I mean, he had the documents, admitted he had them. He said, these documents are mine. They were in his house. They're now searching other properties, CPS more. He didn't give them back when he was told to give them back. It's like, it seems pretty open and shut. And then there is this other thing for which the subpoenas went out, the January 6th investigation. Which of those two in your mind seems more likely to yield charges if charges ever happen? Right. I think your assessment is absolutely correct. The Mar-a-Lago documents case is much more of a straight line. The only real outstanding issue is what level of involvement did Trump have in taking the documents, sending the documents to Mar-a-Lago and perhaps elsewhere. Those are the sort of details that the special counsel is undoubtedly trying to nail down. The January 6th investigation has always been bigger, bulkier, uh, and much more difficult of a, a lift because of the issues of intent and knowledge that will have to be established there before the former president can be charged. And, and, and you know, for those who watch Law and Order, it looks like, like in an hour you get charged with stuff. <laughs> it actually doesn't work that way. And I think one of the things that people are learning is that it's not Law and Order, right? It takes time. So for those who are just impatient, please explain why it, it takes so long to consider charging somebody with a crime like these potentially two. You know, Joy, that's so funny. I literally was writing those same words over the weekend, that we're a country that's very used to law and order. I watched it incessantly when I was on maternity leave. And the formula is so appealing. 15 minutes for the investigation, 15 minutes for the trial. Most of the time you get a conviction. And yep. the reality is that that's just not how it works in the real world. There are a lot of details. The government bears the burden of, of proving guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. And that is a very serious burden of proof. Yeah. So you have to have a little patience, everybody. It's not it's not law and order. Even though law and order is cool. That's not the real world. Joyce Vance, uh, thank you very much. Really appreciate you as always. OK, and still ahead. Welcome back. Brittany Griner, the WNBA star, settles back into life in the States with joyful reunions and a sweet slam dunk. We're back after this.
There are a lot of troubling headlines in the world today, but every once in a while, some really, really good news pierces through, which is why the return of WNBA star Brittany Griner continues to reverberate across the country. From welcome home messages flashing on scoreboards during games to Brittany's wife, Sherelle Griner, sharing her first Instagram post since their reunion. The world watched as Griner deplaned in San Antonio, Texas on Friday following her release in a prisoner swap with Russia. We're now hearing more about what occurred on her 18-hour flight home, as detailed by President Biden's top hostage negotiator. She was just wonderful. Uh, she jumped on the plane and, and went right to saying hi to everyone, making a personal connection, shaking hands, saying thank you. And then on an 18-hour flight, I spent about 12 hours just talking about everything under the sun. Mm. Uh, we actually tried to give her some space to say, look, you know, you probably want to decompress after 10 months in a Russian prison. And she said, no, I want to talk. I want to relate to people. And I found someone who was just absolutely wonderful, kind, generous, interesting, and above all, authentic. Griner's life is forever changed, and her homecoming is only one part of a continuing saga, as the fate of another American held in Russia, Paul Whelan, remains uncertain. And as fellow WNBA players fight to highlight the pay equity issues that led Griner to play offseason in Russia in the first place. But as Brittany said on that plane, I want to talk. Well, we are here to listen. And though her agent says Griner isn't ready to share details about her WNBA future, she did pick up a basketball on Sunday, wearing Chuck Taylor sneakers, Phoenix Suns shorts, and a t-shirt touting Title IX. Her first shot? A dunk! Of course! And that is tonight's readout. What a wonderful way to end the show. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.